Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Joining us for Nightlife News Breakdown, Amy Ramekis, the Guardian Australia's political reporter. Amy's covered federal politics, Queensland politics, crime, court, most of the rounds, working for radio newspapers, most recently for Fairfax. Of course, she was an inaugural, nom- an inaugural nominee for the Young Walkley Awards. Amy, good evening and welcome to Nightlife. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a big day today, perhaps the end of the government's honeymoon in a sense. The Reserve Bank of Australia uh, announcing its ninth consecutive rate hike. It's lifted the cash rate by 0.25 basis points to 3.35 with some pretty aggressive language suggesting that uh, they haven't finished yet. Uh, none, yeah. of, none of this, I think, would be would be music to the ears of the <laughs> of the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, would it? No, definitely not. I mean, these rate rises did start under the former government. Uh, the first one came actually during the election campaign, uh, which when Scott Morrison was Prime Minister, and they have continued every month since. And the reason that they're continuing is because the RBA is saying that inflation is not going the way that it wants it to, which is down. And so they are continuing to try and tighten spending by uh, tightening up the interest rates and getting rid of everyone's discretionary spend. But the problem with that, of course, is that this time around, the inflation isn't because of demand. It's not because everyone's running out there and buying, you know, all the new things that they can get. It's because there's been issues with the supply side of things. And that one is a little trickier to find answers to when you're trying to find a balance when it comes to inflation. Because people are just trying to buy the same things that they've previously bought. They're not rushing out buying new phones or cars or, you know, electronics or going mad with their discretionary spending, they're just trying to buy groceries, Mm. uh, put fuel in the car, pay their electricity bill, those sorts of things. But because of the supply side issues, there's been a lot of price increases. We've seen a lot of things go up. And here we are with interest rates continuing to rise and at least another one in the tank, which is really, really awful news, particularly for first homeowners or people who haven't had their loan for so long or don't have a lot of equity. It's not a great market. I know the opposition tried to make some hay out of this. You were blogging uh, Parliament today for the Guardian. Angus Taylor, in particular, the shadow treasurer, was having a crack uh, suggesting that it was all the doing of the existing uh, and current government. Do you think people have moved on from this a bit and understand that there are larger economic forces at play? I think people have moved on from this. Um, And Angus uh, Taylor is a Rhodes Scholar, so he should know better than to be trying to to put this line out. These interest rate increases are not the fault of the government. Uh, They are the fault of a lot of things that are happening globally. They started under the last government and they had the answers then that it was because of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, um, what that has done to the global oil price because of supply uh, chain shocks that have happened from the pandemic pandemic, which are continuing to play out. All of these things have kind of backlogged and they've all hit at one time. And it wasn't it wasn't a surprise. Economists have been pointing to these global headwinds which were coming towards Australia for quite some time. So it's not a government's fault that this is happening. The opposition has a point in that the government does have a role in setting policies uh, in terms to try and lower inflation so that the RBA doesn't have to pull the only lever 
it has, which is to increase interest rates. And the government has responded by uh, not spending a whole heap of money in the last budget, which was handed down in October. They banked most of the surplus that they got. Uh, they put that aside. They didn't spend a lot on new programs. There hasn't been a huge amount of cost of living relief in terms of actual dollars going into people's pockets. There are programs that are going to be rolled out over the next financial year, but it's not as if everybody's getting, you know, a huge increase. One of the big issues, though, with this round of inflation and what we're experiencing right now is that in terms of real growth, wages have not increased over the last 10 years. And that is something that Angus Taylor and the former, former government did have responsibility for. Wages were deliberately kept low and they were deliberately kept low uh, because they were saying, well, we didn't want to create inflationary conditions. Inflation wasn't a problem over that decade, but wages were. And so now we've hit an as experience where inflation is going up. Everything is going up in prices, but wages have not caught up. So people are well behind even before we get to these price increases. And that is why the cost of living is biting even harder than it might have if everyone had just had a decent wage increase. Yes, I note Mr. Chalmers, the Treasurer, uh, uh, reposting with uh, Angus Taylor, said, sometimes I wonder, Mr. Speaker, if the Roads Committee have asked for their money back. (laughs) (laughs) He was made to withdraw that comment. (laughs) It was unparliamentary. (laughs) Yeah, still, the government will wear something. They'll wear wear some of this, won't they? Because people will say, well, hang on, you're the government. Don't tell us us that you have to, you know, wash your hands of it and put your hands in the air and say nothing we can do about this. Uh, We're hurting and you're the government and don't blame the Reserve Bank. You do something about it. Well, yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, they are the government and people just want answers. People want to be able to afford to put fuel in their car and they want to be able to pay their electricity bill and feed their families. And all of those are absolutely rational responses to this. And I think that's why the government is getting to the point where they're actually going to have to do something to address cost of living directly. So at the moment, they keep saying, well, we've given cheaper medicines and we've got our childcare plan uh, and we've got paid parental leave and we're doing these things, these big programs that's going to make things better. But right now, people can't afford to put food on the table. So I think in the May budget, there is going to be some targeted relief. It's just whether the government can take those political hits over the next couple of months. Because as you and I have just discussed, there is going to be another rate rise before we get to the May budget. Yes, there is. There is. In fact, there may be many more. I mean, Philip Lowe uh, obviously is going out not with a song and dance act, but uh, with quite another costume in in mind. He doesn't seem to mind that he's becoming the most hated man in Australia. Well, I think uh, the Reserve Bank board just kind of sits a little bit above all of this. uh, And I can't say that there would be too many people on the Reserve Bank board who are under mortgage stress or who do know what it's like to see their paycheck, uh, you know, deplenish before they've even spent it on their normal bills. Uh, And that does, that does, I think, play a role in all of this. Part of the RBA review that's going on now is looking at whether the board is, you know, fit for purpose and has as many voices as it should, because at the moment it doesn't have a workers advocate on the board. And there's been talk that perhaps Sally McManus might be somebody who could fill that role. But the fact is that the people on the RBA board are among Australia's 
1%. They're doing very, very well. They're looking at the data and they're looking at the numbers and they're not doing this maliciously, but they're not actually having a lot of input, I don't think, from people who were saying, this is hurting me. Mm. And if you read the RBA speeches and statements, and I have to do that, it's my job. I don't blame anybody for not doing that. You can see from July that they, they've been talking about how they're looking at the data and they don't think that these increases are going to be having too much of an impact because a lot of people have a buffer. And so they think about a third of mortgage holders are the ones who are going to start struggling. And that third are going to be the first homeowners uh, and people who have recently bought. And that is because their debt to uh, income ratio is a lot higher than anyone else. They're already paying really high repayments because they're at the beginning of their loan. They don't have a buffer. They don't have equity. They don't have a whole bunch of savings they've put into their loan because they've just got it. So it's people who have taken a punt, who've taken a chance to get out of the abhorrent rental market who are going to suffer. The RBA acknowledges this, but because in the aggregate, in the the numbers are telling them that most people are going to be okay. This is the track that they're going down. Yeah, indeed. Amy Ramekis is with us, Guardian Australia's political reporter on uh, Nightlife News Breakdown. You, uh, of course, the issue for home prices and all of that is is obvious. Home prices have been falling. They'll, they'll fall further, I imagine. Mind you, they've gone up uh, much further. You noticed an ABC report about a woman in Sydney who'd bought a house in the 90s for $150,000 when interest rates were 19%. Must have been the early 90s, I guess. Uh, yeah, we get calls about that sort of thing on the program here too. She had advice for young people to stop going to restaurants and not get the best smartphone. This is the smashed avocado <laughs> theory, isn't it really? This uh, this rankled with you, uh, and <sighs> rightly so. It's There's another thing going on. Is that the property equation has changed, hasn't it? It has changed. And first of all, I need to say that overall the article was quite good. I didn't have a problem with the article. I had a problem with what the, this woman was saying as part of the here's how you get a house. for a unit in Coogee, I think, in 1995. So if she was paying 19% then, as she said, then that's a very bad deal from the bank because interest rates had begun coming down by then. Yeah, they were were something of that in the late 80s, early, very early 90s, I think. But then, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. But 95, they'd start to come down. But putting all of that aside, Mm. I know that there is this constant battle over those very high interest rates and what is happening now. But the fact of the matter is that housing was still affordable then. And I would much rather be paying 19% on 150000 for a few years than 5% on a million dollars now. And that's because I can't get in to the property market because the deposit is what a house costs in the 90s. And you may think you've saved a deposit. And then by the time you get to the market, nope, sorry, houses have gone up again. And I know that there would be people there saying you need to, you know, set your sites lower. Well, where I live and where I work, this is what property costs. And I can't live in a one-bedroom apartment because my family doesn't fit a one-bedroom apartment. So I'm being locked out and into the rental market because our housing market has got out of control. And the reason our housing market has got out of control is because there has been a systemic failure by governments over the decades 
not to do anything about it. And the reason they don't want to do anything about it is, as the economist Sol Eslake has, has said, and much more eloquently than me, there's about 11 million people who own property in Australia. They do not want to see their wealth downturn. They don't want to see it mm. go down. And so governments are not going to do anything that makes housing more uh, affordable because then it might impact some of the wealth that these 11 million people have. And I'm not talking in the bank, your equity, your home as your wealth. They don't want to do anything that's going to lower property prices because that's going to upset a lot of people. And so it's the people who are outside of the housing market who suffer. Mm. Yes, the the equation, as I referred to, that is the number of weeks it would take to serve to to save and service a mortgage has just gone completely out of kilter, and it's due to preferential tax treatments of of, uh, of residential property, as we know, and government's refusal to do anything about those uh, those preferential tax treatments, which has meant that many Australians are not just property owners; they're also property investors. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is this has been something, as you say, which governments have been reluctant to do anything about. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't blame anyone for wanting to build wealth. It's what we're all told that we're supposed to do. But the, the fact is that right now we have reached a point where people can't afford to buy houses and people can't afford to rent houses because those investors who, who use this for wealth are basically using renters as passive income. And hmm. so we have seen multiple stories and accounts of people seeing their rent go up by more than 30% a week because investors are going, okay, well, inflation is high. I can make some money here. The rental market is so tight. Somebody will pay this if you don't. So up goes the rent. And so we have a housing crisis in this country. And before we get into all of the generational issues, I completely understand that the fastest growing homelessness cohort in this country is is older women. Yes. So it is, you know, it is women who are in the boomer generation who are without homes. But they have also been failed by our complete lack of housing policy. Because we are such a wealthy country, we should not be in the situation where people cannot afford housing. It, it is absolutely ridiculous that we cannot find homes for all of our people. Mm. And so until something happens in terms of the policy settings, until something happens where we don't see homes as our only source of wealth, we're going to continue to see this. And one last point, because I know that there's a lot of people who just think I'm a ranting millennial, and I probably am, but it's not just millennials who are impacted here. It's also like generations who want to have their kids nearby when they grow up. And right now, you can't have your kids nearby because they can't afford to buy in the same areas where they grew up. So, um, you know, unless you want all of your kids having to travel to whoop whoop, where there's not the jobs and infrastructure in order to buy a home, then something needs to change because we shouldn't just have the answer of we'll move to the country. The country is great, but it doesn't suit everyone and we all need community. We need our village and we need houses for that. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's something of a standing ovation down the back of the hall. <laughs> It could be for you. Uh, there <laughs> to, is my rant for this week. <laughs> Great to talk with you, Amy. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. 
You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 